again. Dwayne Brummett here with Allie Alarigo, SchoolOwnerTalk.com. Allie, great to be with you today. We've got a, a famous guest uh, with us as well, and I'll let you do all the introductions. And uh, I know that we've got just a phenomenal podcast today. So take it away, Allie. Yeah, I, I'm so excited. I, I know. Um, and by the way, you know, I've been promoting this on Facebook and, and all my ninja friends are coming out of the woodwork and they're, you know, hey, how do we see it? And and so on. Or I grew up watching Anshu Hayes and, or reading his books. So let me quickly just, you know, um, Anshu is um, he's he was born in, you know, Wilmington, Delaware. I'm going to read a little bit off to the side here. Um then uh, raised in Dayton, Ohio, uh, graduated from Fairmont West High School in Kettering, Ohio. Um, you then attended Miami University in Ohio and um, reportedly you heard that they, I'm reading this too from a, a thing I found on the internet, that you stayed and heard that there was a judo club in, in uh, the school and uh, it turned out to be a Korean tank judo program, not judo, but you stayed in and uh, and you graduated from that high school with a degree in Bachelor of Arts and uh, majored in speech and theater. Um, you're also the author, and I think I counted it today, about 16 different books you are the author of. And uh, you did choreography on movies. You're a world-renowned public speaker. You you did bodyguarding and security for the Dalai Lama. Um, but uh, I know you as a ninja teacher. I followed you since I was, uh, you know, starting my journey in ninjutsu. And um, I read all your books and got to meet you, and we became friends. And I'm so honored just to know you and be a part of, uh, you know, your your little your circle, and you know, be able to say that I know you. People get, like, oh, you know, Stephen Hayes. I'm like, oh, yeah, he's a great, great guy. And I'm just so honored to have you on the uh, call today. And then eventually you went on to train in ninjutsu and went to Japan. And uh, that story is just a magical one. So I won't uh, talk too much about it. I want you to do that. But I know that you trained under Tanimura Sensei, who I trained under. And then you moved on to train with his senior, which was Hatsumi Sensei. And you became one of the most world-renowned and famous American ninjutsu teachers uh, everywhere. So um, anyway, without further ado, I'm just honored to have you on the call. So thank you for being here. And by the way, you're at your dojo, which is absolutely gorgeous. So thank you for being here today. Oh, well, thanks for having me on the show here. Uh, looking forward to this. Uh, see what we can cover. Uh, yeah, I'm at my, this is my house dojo. Um, I also have another like public dojo that's in Dayton, Ohio. It's about eight miles from my house. Uh, that's where we do most of the teaching. Uh, I use this dojo for private lessons and uh, small-scale private seminars. We can get about 18 people in here. Uh, yes, that's my house dojo. Wow, it's so beautiful. I mean, that is about as big as the dojo that I trained in in Japan. Uh, Tanimura Sensei's dojo was only one car garage converted into a dojo, and we'd have 20, 30 people crammed in there. And uh, it was very tiny. People don't realize how how small the dojos are in Japan compared to what we have at our disposal in the United States. You know, I think that's true. Um, I've met several people who studied with Japanese teachers, and uh, one of two things usually is true. Either the Japanese teacher you know, he's like famous in America and he's the Sulke and so forth, but uses a uh, like public recreation center. Right. Um, and, you know, this kind of surprises some Americans sometimes. A guy doesn't even have his own dojo. Right. You know, I mean, he's provided by the community for people to do swimming and archery and uh, gymnastics and martial arts uh, or – he does have a private school, but it's a tiny little place, tiny little dojo. And uh, I myself, you know, was kind of a victim of that thinking back in 1975 when I went over there. I thought, oh, I'm studying with the grandmaster of the ninja, you know. Right. Imagine what his dojo is going to be like. Oh, it's a tiny little room in his house. We clear storage boxes out, put them out in the alleyway, and we train in this little room and he had shrines up around that, you know, upper area. But I was stunned. You know, there were like 15 people training at that point. Um, Tony Morrison, he was in his twenties. Uh, I was in my twenties. Wow. That's amazing. And it, it was a magical time. Uh, now, oh gosh, Bujinkan has 
multiple thousands of people all over the world. Uh, um, but back then it was fi- 15 people. Yeah. And, and did you find it, was it back then too, that a lot of the people were Americans that were training in Japan that, or was it mostly Japanese Ooh. when you started? No Americans. I was the only American. Hmm. Yeah. All Japanese. It was all Japanese. There was a French guy. Uh, there was a French guy who was there who helped me, you know, quite a bit find the place and, Right, so, but no, it was all Japanese. Uh, no, no other Americans. Wow, I know when I would go, and I'm talking back in '93 around there, it was mostly all Americans. And it, to me, what was shocking was the Japanese no longer wanted to train in the martial arts. It seemed, and I don't know what the switch was, or maybe they didn't believe the ninja were real. Because I know quite often I'd go and they'd say, "Oh, you do ninjutsu," and they would laugh. They thought it was like a fake. Because, uh, you know, ninjutsu is in comic books and movies and all that. So even the Japanese didn't realize that it was a real art. Well, you know, you think about uh, a young Japanese uh, after the war, young Japanese, you know, they want to be with it. And uh, so Western sports are much more popular. Martial arts are seeing something that their father or maybe their grandfather did. Eh, that's not cool, you know, old people's thing. So, you know, maybe it would be akin to, uh, I don't know, somebody doing uh, black powder musket shooting and they dress up in fringe jackets and right. probably a lot of gray beards there, not a lot of young kids, you know? I mean, it's, it's, it's that way culturally. Uh, Japan is the most, I think it's the most civilized industrial country in the world you're not going to get in a fight in japan mm-hmm. uh, i mean there are places you can go if you really want to get in a fight i mean but you never run into fights on the street uh, everybody's very polite to each other uh, so self-defense isn't important um you know maybe for fitness or for cultural cultural preservation reasons some people are interested but now you're getting into the old people kind of a thing and young ones nah, they want to do soccer or uh, baseball uh, something like that so it kind of makes sense you know kind yeah. of certainly does so, so tell us a little bit about your journey i mean you did start in around 1970 in ninjutsu by 75 where you're training in the bujinkan system down in japan and uh in Nodashi, right and and you were there with that with one of well, actually the two ninja masters in japan now that are known as uh, tanimura sensei and hatsumi sensei other than all the other offshoots you trained with both of them and uh, got to experience that, and that was your start in, in ninjutsu, and then you went on to being one of the most ser- senior ranks in the organization. So t- tell us a little bit about your time there and when you first went. Well, um, when I first went, uh, I expected something like the Judo Kodokan, you know, a giant place with lots of people training. Uh, headmaster's old house. He's since built a brand new palatial place. Uh, uh, Ninjutsu's big money now. Yeah. <laughs> Since this big mouth guy from Ohio came and wrote all these books and made him famous, you know, yeah, yeah. a few more than 15 training with him now. Um, so when I first got there, um, I met with Hatsumi sensei and he brought Tanimura-san uh, sensei along also to uh, an inn that I was staying at. And, uh, you know, we had several hours of interview and, uh, uh, he said, Oh, tomorrow you can train with, uh, Tanimura-san at his, uh, house. Oh, you know, I was just so honored, uh, you know, like right away I could yeah. train with him. And, oh, years later, Rumiko was talking with, uh, Fumio Manaka, who's like uh, another very, Senior guy who is, uh, you know, kind of, he left the Bujinkan, like Tanimura-san left the Bujinkan, yeah. started his own organization, teaching the way he wanted to teach. Uh, but Rumiko was talking with him and telling him how honored I was, you know, to be accepted and so forth. And he kind of cocks his head and says, oh, that's what he thought happened, huh? <laughs> and she goes, well, no, no. <laughs> 
what was going on? And he said, oh, he said, uh, that first night, Hatsumi-sensei said, hey, this big American came over here. Uh, so he grabbed Tanemura-san and said, uh, you can work with this guy, try all our techniques out on him. He'll last maybe two or three days and think we're crazy, and he'll go back to America and we can train again. Hmm. <laughs> so I, I was a glorified training dummy. Yeah. Fortunately, I didn't know it. Uh, I thought they treated everybody like this who was new. Uh, but the stuff, the stuff they did was just unheard of. You know, this is the 1970s. So it was just unheard of. And, oh, it hurt like crazy. And uh, uh, another funny thing was the people in the dojo would laugh. Mm. You know, I would get thrown. They'd all laugh. Well, you know, I had done martial arts in America in the 60s and the 70s, and everything's very grim and proper. And uh, no, it's funny. You laugh. Um, oh, wow, that's interesting. We're all human beings here. Yeah. Uh, the second funny thing was we didn't get in rows to train. We just grabbed a training partner and just, you know, we're all over the dojo. And, I, you know, I was used to being in rows, you know. Huh. Seniors in the front and juniors and all that stuff. And I think I discovered, you know, that came because in the late 40s, early 50s, all the Americans who studied martial arts, learned martial arts, they were military guys. And so they did it very militaristically. You know, hey, get in line. Uh, and that was, an, that was an American import. Uh, huh. It wasn't Japanese at all. So there were two things that were very surprising to me. But anyway, I hung in there and uh, fortunately didn't know they were trying to drive me away. <laughs> I find that interesting. Even in my first trip to Japan, I you know spent thousands of dollars going there. And all I did was do Reho bowing for like pretty much an entire week. I think they were just trying to get me bored and get rid of me, you know, and I, I loved it. For me, I loved the tradition. So to me, I was like a kid in a candy store. But for others, they probably would have said, I wasted all this money and this time, and all they did was make me bow. And I think that was Tanimura-sensei's um, his intent, too, was to see if I was going to stick with it. And he wanted to see if I would get bored or leave or get frustrated. And, uh, you know, again, I, I was very stubborn, so I stuck with it and loved it. Yeah, you know, when I first went over... I was kind of assigned to Tanimura-san and uh, um, you know, he and I are so, or at that time, we were so uh, alike in our personalities that it didn't work out. <laughs> it did not work out. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, as, as you know, Mr. Tanimura is very, uh, uh, very proper, right? And, uh, much emphasis on uh, veggie, you know, yeah. respect and so forth. So uh, I was supposed to be his student, and so I would go to the police gym where he taught, but I wasn't a Japanese policeman, so I wasn't allowed to train. Hmm. I was just supposed to sit there and watch, uh, and after a while, you know, I look, I, you know, I have a four-year cultural visa to stay in Japan. And uh, so I asked Hatsumi-sensei, I said, oh, you know, with Mr. Tanimura, I'm uh, uh, I'm not allowed to train because hmm. police dojo. Uh, could I come here? And he said, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. So I uh, started going to Hatsumi-sensei's dojo and uh, – uh, kind of back door became his uh, his student. Yeah. And, uh, you know, now Hatsumi and Tanimura, oh, so different. You know, Hatsumi yeah. is a wisecracker. You know, he shows up with funny shirts on, and now he dyes his hair purple. And uh, All right. uh, he's a real iconoclast. But, uh, you know, that's kind of what I needed. Uh right back in the uh, 70s somebody just uh, just scrambled my brain and really everything i did was uh you know questionable 
uh, is this real? Are they teaching me the real thing? Or are they just screwing around with me because I'm a foreigner? Uh, right. I had to make that decision on everything that uh, was taught to me. So it really taught me to be an investigator and not take everything on uh, surface uh, value. Hmm. Um, you know, hey, if I could reverse this, when you went to Japan, uh, why did you choose Mr. Tanimura as opposed to Mr. Hatsumi? Uh, I was actually introduced to him through some seminars in the United States. He was out here in Long Island, and I was invited by another instructor and my teacher, the American Institute teacher, Felix Vasquez. We all went to the seminar with Tanimura Sensei. And um, so that was it. But I also met you that way as well with Robert Hansen had brought you in and I met you at one of the seminars and Chian Vasquez and I also went and trained with you. Um, but then I had asked when I went to Tanimura Sensei, I, I asked him if I could come to Japan and train and he basically blew me off um, and said, you know, yeah, sure, sure. And he signed a picture and gave it to me. And then, but I came back after again and again to a few seminars and finally he said I could come there. And I went with um, Robert Hansen and a group of people to Japan, and that was history. So, um, I, yeah, it was interesting that I ended up with him, right, Destiny? So yeah. I, have, I, I have a great question for you. So do you feel that the, the classical martial arts, what you've witnessed in Japan, real traditional arts, and, and um, you know, the direction that martial arts are going in modern-day history with, uh, you know, MMA and BJJ and sport, um, what do you feel, you know, uh, direct, what's going, where's the direction of the martial arts going? What, what's your thoughts on that? Well, that's a really difficult question. Uh, I mean, and it's, but it's one I face every day. Uh, you know, I've been doing martial arts for 51 years now. And I've been teaching for so many years. And I, I tell friends, after all that time, I still don't know what my customers are looking for. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine yeah. any other business right. <laughs> where right. 51 years, you don't know what your customers are looking for? No, they all tell me, oh, I want to get in shape, maybe study a little self-defense. But you know, and I know, that's just some acceptable thing to say. They have deep uh, reasons why they're studying martial arts, and they they – may not even tell us right not tell us so i see on one hand there's these very classical martial arts where you know everyone bows and uh um you know proper kamae and so forth very classical martial arts um may or may not relate to self-defense in the real world today and a real true classical martial artist would say, well, it's not self-defense. We're, we're keeping alive a culture. You know, we're practicing with the sword and ex exactly the way the sword would be used. This was taught by people who maybe had never been in a war or never been in a battle. So it was very important to teach it exactly the way it had been taught by the people who were in wars or battles. Right. So you know, it's very classic. You don't change anything. On the other hand, there's the, you know, very popular MMA and, uh, you know, BJJ and all these initial martial arts. And, uh, hey, if it doesn't work, throw it out. Uh, and, and, and it changes. It changes what people are doing. Because after a while, people get too good at defending against this. Some genius will come over with a new way to do it. And so uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu has grown and matured over the years. MMA has changed. We can see that. Yeah. Uh, now, of course, there are rule books, you know. So if you're in an MMA match and some guy's down on his hands and knees, you can't kick him in the face. Right. Uh, uh, you can't attack the back of the neck or the spine. Uh, mm -hmm. Uh, so, I mean, there, I mean, you have to have rules to keep everybody safe and, and alive. Uh, but also that doesn't relate to self-defense because you get two athletes who are about the same weight and same capability, uh, out on the street. No, it's two wise guys and an innocent person who doesn't know what's happening. 
they may be 40 years old against a couple of 28 year olds. You got to fight dirty. You right. got to fight dirty. And so here's the classics and the MMA, BJJ. I, I think I'm kind of a third reality. Uh, and that is how are you going to survive on the streets? So we teach physical techniques, but we also have a lot of mental aspect. What is this guy trying to set me up? Uh, uh, verbal uh, taijutsu, how I can say certain things that communicate to, uh, you know, a street troublemaker, somebody just, you know, stopping me and, you know, like ostensibly panhandling or, hey, how do I find the Statue of Liberty? Uh, right. Come on, you know. Um and so there are certain things that um, I might say, oh, and the other reality in this third thing, American laws. Oh, gee, man, everybody's watching this. Yeah. Everybody's watching this can find a place where the law punishes the defender more than the offender. Right. That's just, that's the way it is. Um I don't know. Government doesn't want us taking responsibility for ourselves. Uh, something like that. Yeah. You know, so how we go about living in that world where there's the classics and there's the very popular MMA, BJJ, but this third reality. I was talking to uh, editor of Black Belt Magazine about three weeks ago, and I asked him this question. I said, where do you see the future of the martial arts going. And, you know, Bob Young, he's been editor of Black Belt for years. He goes, I don't know. What do you think? Hmm. <laughs> oh, you know, I'm just a guy doing what I do. Uh, and he said, well, he says he, he believes that these military kind of uh, no gi, but just all honest how to fight. He said he thinks those would be more and more popular, reality-based training. Uh, he said, you know, as long as the technique is real, it's authentic. He th thinks that's popular. Um, he doesn't see uh, much growing popularity of like the point karate. Um, and, uh, you know, so this, this reality, uh, military, with a possibility for old people doing some kind of a Tai Chi thing. Anyway, that's what the editor of Black Belt yeah. has suggested. But I see, you know, to wrap it up, you know, this is like a triangle. And, you know, there are not – I don't think there are that many people who are honestly putting self-protection, the way to think, the way to move uh, – in the predominant position, they're, they're right. classics. I mean, we teach, you know, maybe teach a lot of children. Oh, we teach them, you know, respect and making commitments and all those things. Well, you can do that with, with bicycle riding or right, skateboarding, right. I mean, to tell the truth, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, there are a lot of young people who like the Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And I think... The idea of one-on-one -on -one competition where nobody gets hurt may be as popular with people. You know, we're Americans. We want to see how, how good am I, you know, right. where am I in this? And what I'm doing here is training people to where, you know, they're not going to get into fights. If right. they are in a fight, they end it fast and get out of there, disappear. You know, so ironically, some of the old ninja stuff that you and I studied back in Japan. Yeah. This kamae, how to obscure your face. Right. Uh, 1500s, 2018, it's important. Yeah. 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 Uh, witnesses are going to say what they're going to say. The dirtbags always get a good lawyer. Yeah. Uh, you know, so you go to court, and they say, oh, now you study some ancient Japanese assassin martial art, huh? I think you just wanted to test yourself out, and you pushed my poor client into a fight. Uh, uh, that crap works. Right. That works on a judge, on a jury. Uh, so we have to prepare people for just 
how to get out of there alive. Yeah. More so, I mean, or balanced with the physical, physical technique. Yeah. You know what I find interesting and, and what I love to teach about the traditional martial arts is that I believe that there is this whole holistic approach to traditional martial arts, meaning that you do train physically, you train spiritually, you train mentally, and that's what makes a complete warrior. And through years of consistent training under the right teacher, training in that mindset, you develop this strong personality and spirit that, you know, like um, a fudoshin, like immovable heart where you can't be shaken. And I find that, it, and sadly, in a lot of MMA fighters, they're very, very good fighters and they win. But the minute they start to lose, you'll read stories about them turning to drugs, similar, similar to other athletes because they don't really have that spiritual background. So I find that the martial arts does teach that. For example, we had sparring class last night where we do the padded sparring with the kids. And one of the parents said, um, my son doesn't want to do it. So we left the gear in the car. And I said, well, why didn't you encourage him to bring it in and let me work with him to get him to wear it and do it? And the reason why I teach sparring is to take them out of their comfort zone so that they're used to doing many things. And even though they might not love it, they still will approach it and do it. So they become comfortable with doing things that maybe they're not used to, which is not in their comfort zone. And we know within our society, everything's all about comfort, what we want to do, what we like, what's good for us, you know, the what's in it for me society kind of thing. So I, I believe that traditional martial arts like you are teaching, that's what helps change, mold and shape people's lives without them even knowing, um, you know, and that that's through the traditions. Yeah, I think uh, like in the Meiji age of Japan, that would be like from our Civil War, 1860s till early uh, 1900s, Meiji, Taisho, um the Japanese were very aware that, uh, you know, guns were the way you waged war. You could teach a farm boy how to shoot a rifle in a couple of months, you know, take right. years to teach him how to use a sword. So the martial arts went through a transformation and they became a, uh, you know, cultural piece, uh, character building. Hmm. Uh, you know, you took a beating and you just kept quiet, you know. Uh, right. You beat somebody else. You just kept quiet. Um and uh, that became a part of the Japanese culture, uh, very different than self-defense or how to fight with somebody. Now, of course, there were people, uh, maybe sort of rascally people, that were interested in, no, I don't learn how to fight. Right. And so stories about oh, Takamatsu Sensei, you know. Being a young man and going to China and testing himself out. And I mean, there were a few of those kind of people, but they were unusual. Mm. Uh, so I think you're very correct in that. Uh, I think one of the great values of martial arts today is that it does teach character in a, in a culture. I'm obviously deciding whether to say this or not, but right. I mean, uh, I'll say it. You know, I mean, I was born in the 1940s, grew right. up in the 1950s and 60s. So I, I, I can have an opinion. Uh, it's a vastly different landscape back then. Uh, right. Culturally, uh, what was expected of people, what people expected of themselves uh, today. Uh, you know, everybody's online and they're online listening to this. Uh, that's a great advantage that we have. But you know, it's it's also awkward. Kids would, I mean, my grandchildren, one and two years old, they're on these little. They don't like to have the keyboard taken away, and uh, right. you know, so to put a kid in a forty-five minute class where they have to actually be there, pay attention, uh, learn stuff, uh, do things that are not, uh, you know culturally appreciated. Hmm. You know, when I say not culturally appreciated, uh, I'm sure one of your greatest competitors, certainly mine, is organized team sports. Yeah. You know, uh, that that is a very strong drive for kids. They want to be part of the team. You know, they can... Uh, 
enjoy being a part of the team. Uh, the team wins. Everybody celebrates. Uh, girls look at them, you know, kind of interested. Um, you're one of the guys. And I had a person who told me the other day, I was quite surprised to hear this, but I had a person who told me the other day that, uh, yeah, there's this undercurrent in uh, suburban uh, high schools and junior highs that martial arts are for the dweeby little kids that can't make it on the team. Wow. You know, yeah, I mean, that that's, that's she's so different from the 60s and 70s, you know, yeah. in my world. When it was cool, it was cool. If you knew martial arts, people people looked up to you. They feared you. They they were you know they thought you were cool. You're right though. It has taken that turn a little bit. Wayne, what were you you were going to say something? You well, I was going to say with regards to we did a podcast that was called uh, your uh, your martial arts school: the last line of defense against wussification, and I, and that was the title of our podcast. And uh, if anybody wants to find that, they can go to schoolownertalk.com forward slash one six zero. Uh, that's our 160th podcast. But I, I do believe, and I think that's kind of what you touched on, is the fact that, you know, I, I believe that the martial arts is really the last line of defense when it comes to uh, the wussification of our kids, you know, teaching them the values that they need in order to be productive citizens in society. You know, and, and I think what's unique about what we do is that we strategically do it. You know, even a poorly run martial arts school is strategically doing it just because of the the martial way about it. Um, never mind the fact that if it's a you know professionally run mar- and when I say professionally, I don't necessarily mean commercial. It could be a small little dojo in your garage that you are in- instilling those things strategically on purpose. But we are, uh, I believe, the last line of defense when it comes to those type of things uh, in our society, especially in America. And I guess I'd kind of like you to maybe agree with me, disagree with me, but what are your thoughts on that? No, I, uh, I agree. Uh, but I think it goes back to the culture, you know, these schools out here where I live, um, for years now, they've had what they call a zero tolerance, uh, policy. So some kids getting smacked around or beat up. If he defends himself, he too expelled. So, you know, the troublemaker, he doesn't mind, but you know, so nobody puts a hand on each other. Oh, okay. That's good. That's real successful. Well, no, it isn't because what's happening now is kids are bullied, but in subtler ways, they're being bullied. And the schools don't want to hear about it. They don't want to hear about it uh, uh, because they, let's face it, you know, a bully is taught how to bully. Little kid doesn't invent this. Right. Obviously learning it at home, you know. So now the bully is penalized by the school. The bully parents come in and bully the school and threaten to sue. And everybody can sue, you know, we're lucky happy uh, oh man so a uh, school administrator is judged on his or her ability to keep that under wraps so that's another reality uh, a second reality is that those changes in culture have uh, have ramifications they show up elsewhere so now some kid does get attacked in a school or in a parking lot uh, the other kids won't jump to his defense. Now the dirt bags will. That's that's another reality. You don't fight one guy anymore, right? You, you got to fight all of them. And if you're fighting one guy and he's starting to take a beating, his buddies will jump in and punch in the back of the head or whatever. You see this on YouTube all the time, all the time. So now we have a group of people who will will film it on their iPhones. But that's as involved as they get. They film it. Uh, wow, this is what's happening to our our culture. Um, so, yeah, Dwayne, you referred to it as uh, wussification. Um, 
Yeah, I I believe that. I believe that. Um, what are we going to do now? So I think martial arts, if uh, if taught by somebody who, uh, man, yeah, I'm obviously hesitating to say this, but uh, somebody who deserves to be teaching the martial arts. Yeah. He can instill this in a kid. He can teach a kid how to move with dignity, how to move with power, how to how to be calm and, and happy, uh, but from a dignified, solid, little bit scary standpoint. And I see a lot of people, I see a lot of people teaching martial arts and they're not really fighters. They're yeah. not really fighters. You know, they learn some, some kata and uh, uh, you know, they're, they're there to teach the kids respect. And, and, and that's beautiful. That's beautiful. But I think you really have to have some grit. Well, I, it's funny that you say this because yesterday I was just talking to the parent and I said, listen, I know he's maybe nervous about sparring or he's not sure if he likes it or not. And my daughter, she could not stand sparring. She was a black belt. Every tournament we went to, because I'm involved with tournaments and um, she'd say, dad, I'm, I'm not sparring today. I don't want to spar. And I'd say, uh, as she's taking her gear out of her bag, her fighting gear. And I'd say, okay. And then I say, why are you taking your gear out of your bag? She says, well, because you said, okay. I said, no, it's okay that you don't want to spar. I didn't say it's okay that you're not going to spar. I said, you're going to put the gear on. You're going to go to the tournament and you're going to do it. You have absolutely no choice. This is my choice for you. And she knew the answer. She reluctantly put it in and she would go and spar. And I think that sometimes we need that person to push us. And I always looked at my teachers, whether it be Tanimura Sensei or uh, Tuhan Chris Sayaka of the Sayak fighting system or, uh, you know, uh, my teacher from America, Felix Vasquez, and um, they always pushed me where I didn't want to go for whatever reason, sometimes not even intentionally. They might have just been selfish or they might have been doing something to test it out on me, but I always accepted the lessons and I became a better person because of it. And that's what I believe that sensei student, the, the, the mentorship relationship, that reverence that we, you and I had for our teachers where we would have done anything. And um, the, the beauty of having that relationship makes the martial art training that much deeper. Do you agree with that? Oh, yeah, I, I totally agree. Uh, the student has to respect and look up to the teacher. So it's imperative that the teacher live the life that the student hopes to live. Right. Teacher lives the life the student hopes to live. So that puts a lot of responsibility on the teacher. Hmm. Uh, I often draw a parallel with, uh, with religion, you know, so like you have a church and uh, I don't know, 200 people show up on Sunday, you know, for a few minutes, uh, there's a sermon and they sing songs and so forth. But that minister uh, is living his or her religion around the clock. Maybe they've learned Hebrew so they can read the old Bible or even Aramaic so they can see what was really said. They don't expect the average parishioner to learn Aramaic and, uh, you know, they just come in on Sunday for a few minutes. And, uh, but the, the minister uh, or the rabbi or the imam Regardless of this, they're going to be so much more involved. So I think that we as martial artists have to be like that. The things that we know, the things we've been through that determine our character, the way we talk, the way we move, uh, even when we don't say anything, the way we relate is convincing. Uh, so you have this little girl who's going to put her gear on because sensei, Allie said she's going to spar. Right. Accepts that. Um, now, counter to that, um, with our current culture, um, I know you probably have parents that say the same thing. You know, they have a seven-year-old sitting there, and they go, well, um, he just doesn't think it's fun. Right. No, I never promised it was going to be fun. Right religious instruction or learning how to eat with a fork, you know, uh, toilet training is not fun, but right. you gotta do it, you know, uh, well, you know, and then they turn to this little kid and go, 
you're a big boy now. You make up your mind. Uh, do you want to do it? No, he's not a big boy. He's a little boy. He needs his father or mother to tell him what to do. Right. You know, parents are all squishy and, uh, you know, they don't want to make that decision for their child. Uh, yeah. Their child has found that the magic words are, it's not fun. Right. Oh, I hate to make them do something that's not fun. Yeah. Uh, I would always joke. I would always joke with um, my daughter's mom and she'd say, oh, she doesn't want to grapple in a grappling tournament. It's, you know, we don't want to upset her. And I said, don't worry, she's not going to turn into a stripper because I forced her to do grappling. You know, She's not going to become a heroin addict because I, I was a good dad and stayed on top of her. I, you know, my goal, of course, is to stick with those those rules and those morals and that integrity. And I do that as a sensei now. And you're right. It, and Dwayne, we talk about this all the time. It's not easy to be that sensei because you do have parents are like, oh, he think who does he think he is? You know, I'm paying him to uh, teach my kid how to learn martial arts, and they forget that there's so much that goes into that. And and I wish society just understood that more. And like you said before, if someone a student has reverence for their sensei, the lesson is so much more deeper and accepted that the lesson is that much more impactful for them. Like reverence for us is no big deal, but we don't care if they're bowing and and in awe of us. But if they have that reverence, they will get a deeper lesson because what we teach them, they'll listen to, they'll accept it, they'll look for a deeper meaning, right? But they have to have trust and reverence in their their instructor to do that. Yeah, Dwayne, I'm I'm sorry, I don't I don't know you. Do you have a school? Uh, do you teach? I do. Yes, sir. Oh, okay. Do you Dwayne has. A- Dwayne has a Christian martial arts school, and he has a rather large school, and, and it's interesting, yeah. Where, where is that? Uh, it's just about uh, 50, 55 miles south of Chicago. Oh, okay, okay. And uh, do you find that works for you, being known as a Christian martial arts school? Yeah, I mean, I don't, ex- I, I don't know what the right term is. I don't exploit necessarily the, the, the Christian aspect, if that makes sense. But I am a Christian, and uh, we do pray in the beginning of, uh, of class. We uh, do the Pledge of Allegiance in class. And I actually get more compliments on, you know, whether somebody's a Christian or not, that we do pray and that we do the Pledge of Allegiance, especially the Pledge of Allegiance um, is a really big thing. And I think, you know, in and of itself, it just sets the right tone. Um, you know, for what we're looking for, the discipline, the respect, those type of things. Obviously, you know, I mean, I had somebody say to me before, you're not going to like, you know, hit our kid over the head with a Bible. And I said, absolutely not. I mean, that's not what <laughs> that's not what I'm going to do. But I use my uh, faith and the principles that are found inside of that, which, you know, a lot of the niceties, if you will, the values and those type of things are found in 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 almost uh, uh, anything um, if that makes sense. So no, I don't necessarily have a, I, I don't have any kickback. I've never had any kickback. I mean, I have Muslims, I have Jews. Um, the thing I, I, I think that most of them that, that, that they enjoy the, the, the most is the character development traits that are actually happening inside of the school. And again, I go back to saying by design, I do those things as opposed to happenstance, if that makes sense. And that's kind of where the, the question the last stand. Martial arts schools are the last stand in our society. Yeah, really, really. Yeah, I was, I was saying that the, the martial arts are the temples of the, of, of, you know, the future. That's where all these religions come together, where people of like-minded, you know, they gather, so to speak, using a temple as a metaphor. But um, so speaking, you were about to say something, and then I have another question for you. No, go no, I, I well, go ahead. I, I just uh, I'm I'm really uh, uh, digging this opportunity. So no, I know you got some questions that you wrote down. So hit away. Oh, yeah, and we're we're running out of time because we we are almost in in like forty forty five minutes already. It went quick, but I love I love I could be here with you all day. We just recently spent time in Atlantic City together and had dinner. And um, yeah, yeah, I just it's to me those times are so so important. You know, getting to speak to someone and and understand so. A few things. What do you think that um, the martial arts has to give to humanity? Like, what do you believe that by your teachings or the, you know, the, the way you teach, how can that help people overall rather than just the self-defense aspect? But do you see, you know, other things where it kind of, you know, 
goes into other parts of their lives. Well, yeah, I think uh, a lot of people who come to us um, very privately. Now, I'm talking about adults. I'm I'm sure it works for, for kids as well. We have more adults than children. We do have a children's program, but uh, I think a lot of people, you know, they grow up as little kids, they become teenagers, they become young adults, uh, but we don't have any like rites of passage in our culture where, you know, like in in Tibet, uh, you have a little kid name that you go by and then you're given a teenager name. And then finally, you're given an adult name. And when you get those names, oh, you maybe change your haircut and, you know, the way you dress and so forth. And, and you, you really get it. Uh, uh, we don't have anything like that. So all of a sudden, a person can find themselves, their 30s, their 40s, with these little insecurities they had as kids. Hmm. And yet now maybe they earn some money. Um, maybe they have a position of power and, but, but, but they're kind of running their lives like little kids. Yeah. Imitating an adult. So I think that the honesty of martial art, your technique's going to work or it's not. Right. You know, if it's not, then what do I need to learn to make it better? And if it does work, what do I need to learn to make it better so I can get older and still do this? Right. I have so many people who come to me and say, you know, I'm never going to get in a fight in my life. Uh, I got my life set up that way. But I find I've discovered things about myself uh, that I never would have considered before. Uh, I've had to enjoy changing the way I deal with people, troublemakers at work or, you know, wherever. Uh I'm more confident, and so therefore I have less to prove. I'm a happier person. Right. Oh, man, that's that's really the payoff. So a person can spend, I don't know, 11 years with us studying, never been in a fight, study 11 years. Can you imagine, like, studying golf for 11 years? Never played a game. Right. Or tennis, hitting that ball off of a well, 11 years practicing tennis, never played a game. No, right. you know, I, and I know you get this. People yeah. say, hey, have you ever had to use your martial arts? Yeah, I use it every day. Uh, right. No, I mean, did you ever have to put somebody in the hospital? So, oh, you mean, did I ever fail and have to uh, right. go into action? Did I ever fail? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> hmm. Really? What? Uh, no, it's, it's very unusual. So I think that, uh, and I, I know you have uh, people that express the same thing. They, they're they more at peace with themselves. They're more at ease. Um, you know, but, but you have to teach people. We teach people, I don't know, how to, how, to, how to talk to somebody else. Somebody's huffing and puffing and, you know, mildly threatening. You know, uh, you're 40 years old. You can look at them and you can go, oh, Ah, you're too tough for me. I'm going to get my trot and go. They get it. Yeah. Now, I didn't say, oh, you're too tough for me. Uh, No, I I said that in a different voice. Oh, you're you're too tough for me. I'm going to just get my truck and take off. Uh, Wow. You know, there's that tone of voice or... uh, you know, somebody threatening to, you know, kick your butt and all this. Oh, man, you're the third person today that wants to kick my butt. <laughs> I'm just rubbing everybody the wrong way. And I'm, excuse me, I apologize. I'm going to get my truck and take off. But, you know, there's a way that you can deliver that with humor that the bully kind of gets, oh, this guy's. A little, little too uh, confident. I didn't say, oh, you're the third person I bought. No, 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 no. Uh, it comes from right. level. Uh, but we teach people these things. We have a series of five elements. Right. You know, how you relate to another person. So it's kind of like a holographic sphere. Um, and people are educated in that on the way to black belt. Um, 
So they're learning a lot of things that they can actually use in a confrontation at work or, you know, at home or out on the street. Uh, and, and, and they find value in that. They find value. Yeah, this is what the police in some academies teach as verbal judo. And I actually just did my last leadership month's lesson on verbal judo. And we talked about, you know, the three most important things is don't tell a person how to act. Like if they are heated up and you, hey, listen, calm down. You know, that that gets them even angrier, right? So we talk about verbal parameters and and distance and spatial awareness, stepping back and and giving them space because nothing like them feeling like a pressured caged animal. And then here's the thing, but you know this better than anyone that, I, I relate to this with my students and I call it Kamai posturing, right? Where um, people will, you know, stand, like you said, rather than standing all, you know, afraid looking or confident, but not having an aggressive posture, like raising your hands and saying, I don't want to fight, you know, and your hands are in a fist and you're stepped into a boxing stance. It's not very believable. So um, I find that to be interesting and in how you talk about all of this stuff. And that to me is real martial arts. That to me is, is, is real. So it is, just as important as learning how to throw a good left hook or a, a kick or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, I, I think uh, this, this is, is real hard. Uh, I'm getting an echo back. Are you hearing that? Yeah, I just heard it for a second. Sometimes you'll it'll that'll be the connection. Okay. So we go back to this classical martial arts. That's from the warring states periods of Japan. Right. <clears throat> Everybody knew why they were there with a sword. Hmm. I wants to kill me. I'm, I got to kill him. Right. So that's it. MMA, BJJ, the other guy across the ring is here to defeat me. I'm here to defeat him. There's no screwing around. So both right. of those, you, you automatically assume I'm here to fight. The third one, this street survival. Uh, I don't know. You know, maybe this guy's a yapper posing as a slapper, but he's going to try to put you down and get out of there. Uh, we don't know. Uh, so yeah, very challenging, very challenging. And how we use our words, you know, uh, just so subtle. So somebody says, Oh, I, I don't want to fight. Yeah. That's why I'm picking on you. Cause you don't right. want to fight. I don't want to fight either. I want to administer a beating. Right. You know? So we say no need for violence. Instead of, I don't want to fight. Eh, no need for violence here. Uh, that does reset things, doesn't it? No need right. for violence. Right. Uh, as opposed to, I don't want to fight. Uh, that kind of subtle uh, pre-planning, pre-thinking, you know, stuff. So somebody were, you know, like right on top of somebody, you back away. Shoulders are relaxed. Right. Shoulders are relaxed. Hands are up. Easy. Oh, you know, we back away. No need for violence here. Right. Uh, what do you want to do? Mm. And now I've got him thinking, what, what's, what's he going to say? You know, he says, oh, kick your rear end. Well, you've just announced <laughs> uh, you're going to kick my rear end. So I got I got a fight here. Uh, I get it. I might even ask him, are you willing to fight me? My, my dogs may start to yelp. I have to shut my door because my fiance is coming home from work. You know, um, I might and I might ask this person, you know, he's griping about this parking space. And I say, are, are you willing to fight me over this? Yeah. yeah. He's going to say, well, no. Blah, blah, blah. Or he's going to say, yes. And now, man, I got to... He announced he was going to fight me. Right. So how I use my language right. uh, to stay ahead of, you know, a troublemaker uh, in our culture with all its crazy laws. Um, yeah, it's a very complex, this third realm of self-defense. This isn't something you just tack on at the end of a classical workout or, and, oh, we'll do a little self-defense. No, our program is totally self-defense and we right. have, and we have belts in there. Yeah. It's totally self-defense. We don't teach anything that is artistic. Now advanced people look pretty. Uh, they look amazing when they move, but there's nothing that's like an art form. There's no competition. Um, it's 
everything is self-defense and we really have to uh, uh, be very aware uh, that's uh, that's very demanding of people. Yeah. Well, let me, I'm going to read to you some of this. We've gotten such great response over 44 comments while we're sitting here just talking oh. and people are posting, you know, um, as we're talking. So it's hard for me to sometimes put it to context because you might've said something and they wrote, um, you know, uh, uh, excellent discussion and a vital input, but I don't remember where it came from, but some of the ones were um, the greatest lesson that I've ever learned in the martial art training is the ability to use my wisdom that I've acquired from martial arts to, to fuse the situation that was by Durand Howard, which um, is exactly what we're talking about, right? No, no, being smarter than the opponent and that strategy, isn't that, um, you know, the, the strategy in ninjutsu or nimpo and the in battle strategy, it's, it's just maybe broken down into modern day strategy of combat or how to overcome a bully by using your words and all these things, right? Yeah. Ultimately what I'm looking at, from this self-defense standpoint is how do I win? Right. How do I win? Now, how do I define winning? Right. I, as a 70-year-old grandfather guy, uh, define winning as getting home healthy and happy. That's it. Right. So some knucklehead is going to, you know, confront me and, uh, oh, man, I could take you. It's, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you could, son. Right. Uh, got to get home happy and healthy. So I'll, I'll see you yeah. around, you know, um, you know, or I could make some wisecrack like, well, uh, don't have time to go around giving out free private lessons. So <laughs> right. I'll, I'll let you go this time. You know? <laughs> right. But you know, that's my definition of winning. Somebody else has a different definition of winning. Yeah. You know, I want people to respect me. I want, well, good luck, pal. Right. Uh, crazy world of getting people to respect you when you have nothing, you know, that uh, commands respect. Uh, that's, you know, like under underclass cultural thing. So uh, how do you define winning? And then what's that going to look like? Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I guess later on you could read. There's so many really great comments. There's a lot of really great martial art masters on here, some that I know from Long Island. My students who run my school in Bermuda, they're in awe of having – they're like, you're going to speak to Stephen Hayes today. They're, they're all excited over there. But um, I'm just honored to have you here. And, Dwayne, do you have any final questions? Um, or, uh, you know, before we have Anshu close up with any final comments, do you have anything you'd like to ask? Yeah, well, we had uh, from Frank here, he said that you said lining up in rank was a, a military influence. What about wearing like belts and geese and those type of things? Um, were those, when you trained, uh, originally trained in uh, Japan, did they have, uh, you know, uniforms and, you know, belts and a system well, I, like that? Or was it just hodgepodge? I remember, Ansha, you did a speech on this at one of the conventions, actually, and you, you referred to geese as undergarments and right. So can you tell, tell a little bit about that? Like the, you said everyone's wearing their underwear basically. Yeah. Well, I mean, like back in the old days, the samurai would take their beautiful silk garments off and they'd be in these linen white underwear and that's what you would train in. So I'd say that's like wearing a pair of running shorts and a tank top today. You know, <laughs> that's what we train in. Uh, the gi, you know, becomes some special thing. Originally in 1980s, when I came back, I didn't wear a gi. I wore black fatigue pants and a black T-shirt. We had a fatigue jacket. And that's what we trained in until about 1983, about 83, when people sort of demanded we wear gis like they did in Japan. And so we went to a gi, but... 1982, when Hatsumi Sensei came over to our festival, he wanted those fatigue pants and T-shirt. That's what he wore for the whole festival because that's what we were wearing. So, uh, pardon me, kind of longs to go back to that. You know, <laughs> yeah, Western attire for a uh, very Western uh, martial art. So that's a you know, uh, who said that? Frank said that. That's a very good observation. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Great. I'm kind of curious. Uh, I know that we need to wrap it up, but sir, uh, is there anything that um, 
you know, that we haven't asked or said that you, you know, you would like to make sure that everybody uh, hears from you before we end tonight or today, I should say? A good takeaway of some sort. Well, I've got 51 years of experience in martial arts, so there's a whole lot more I could say. So I'm at 5% battery power. My laptop might disappear uh, abruptly. So, uh, Dwayne, let's arrange another conversation another time when I can say a little more. Oh, I would love to do that. If we could, that would be a super honor to do that. Yeah, and I appreciate you offering that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've enjoyed it. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, we got to explore some stuff. Some things could be misunderstood by people. You know, somebody could be a little miffed at me. Oh, I don't agree with him. That's great. You don't agree. Put your thoughts into uh, words. Put it up on the Facebook page for, uh, uh, you know, we get some discussion going, you know, thoughtful uh, discussion. No, my experience is this. It's different from yours, Stephen Hayes. Very cool. Very cool. There's a big world out there. Um, I think uh, just as long as we, we keep it cheerful and, you know, positive, uh, benefit to everybody. Everybody's got an opinion. Uh, write it all in there and, and uh, let's see what you got to say. Awesome. Anshu, I'm honored. Dwayne, just so cool to, to have this honored guest with us. And, of course, being with you again and doing another – what is this, our 160 – This is 164. 164 pod, podcasts for us and, and, and live video. So, Anshu, I'm honored. Thank you so much for sharing your gorgeous dojo with us, your knowledge. I'm thankful to be your friend, and I appreciate everything you've given us. So thank you very much. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Allie and Dwayne. Great getting to know you. Nice meeting you too, sir. All right, everybody have a great day. Bye, guys. Arigato gozaimasu. Bye. What did he say? (laughs) 